going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast that is presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. My name is Mitch, and I'm one of your regular hosts that you hear every single week on this show. And normally, I have my other co-hosts, Kyle and Boozy, with me. But they are away this week, they were away last week, and I want to assure everyone uh, that that is for no other reason than scheduling conflicts. And uh, we are hard at work at planning and producing our next series of episodes, which is going to be on exorcism films. Uh, So we will be doing three full episodes, each episode highlighting a pick from one of the hosts. So we are kicking things off with The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is Boozy's pick. Uh, Then following that, we'll be talking about Kyle's pick, The Last Exorcism. And then we'll be closing things out with my pick, Anything for Jackson. So you can expect to see those episodes pop up on our feed within the next three weeks. Other than that, I also want to give a shout out to a crossover series that I've started with the Daniel Epler of the Cobwebs podcast and Chris Hurtado of Inside the Sequel. The three of us are getting together to discuss our fantasy Oscars draft. So the first episode covers the years 1990 to 1999. Uh, The episode that will be going live on our feed will cover the 2000s to 2009. And then we will be talking about the previous nine or 10 years on Inside the Sequel. So each of these episodes are going on separate feeds. So uh, episode one is now available. You can check it out on the Cobwebs feed. Uh, Make sure you like and subscribe to that podcast because it is fantastic. I love listening to that show and it's an honor to be a part of this with, with two other podcasts that I highly admire. But this episode that you're tuned into now is going to be a very special episode. Today, I am welcoming the Assistant Festival Director of the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival and the co-booker for Prairie Pro Wrestling, Jeff Drake. Jeff has become a really good friend of mine over the years, and he is very well-spoken and very knowledgeable about the large body of work of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, We don't skimp over any of the controversies or anything like that. We discuss the man in full, uh, starting off with his upbringing, having a brief conversation about how he lived, and uh, it's very interesting. I learned a lot from Jeff this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. We close the episode off with a double feature of Stuart Gordon's From Beyond and Stuart Gordon's Dagon. This episode was a ton of fun for me, and I learned a lot, so I really hope you all enjoy it as well. But before this episode begins, I'd like to tell you guys about one of our sponsors. Direct West is a proud partner of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Direct West has a local expert team right here in Saskatchewan that will work with you to build your website exactly how you imagine it. Let them help you improve your online presence and head to directwest.com to learn more. But with all that out of the way, I can let you guys get to enjoying this episode with Jeff Drake talking about the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Enjoy. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast that's presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. My name is Mitch, and I'm one of your regular hosts that you hear every single week, and normally I'm joined by Kyle and Boozy, but they are away this week. So filling in for them, I invited a good friend of mine, uh, the assistant festival director at the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival, the co-booker for Prairie Pro Wrestling. Uh, So he's the reason why we got in touch with Mitch Clark. And became we kindled that friendship. Uh, everyone, welcome Jeff Drake. How's it going, Jeff? I'm very good. How's your hand? It sucks. I sliced my hand open yesterday. Um, did I send you the picture? 
Nope. Oh, it's gross. I'll send it to you afterwards. But Super. yeah, I basically, I cut right through my finger. It's it's bad. It's not good. I had to get some stitches. Um, but I'm happy to be at the table talking horror movies with you. And this today on this episode, we are going to be focusing on the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, so we are going to be doing a H.P. Lovecraft Stuart Gordon double feature in the main feature. We are going to be talking about From Beyond and Dagon. Uh, we are also just going to be talking about H.P. Lovecraft and his history. Uh, we're gonna we're not skimming over anything. We're going to talk about some of the controversial things that have happened with him uh, regarding his work, and we're just going to have an open conversation about the the influence and the impact that H.P. Lovecraft left on the horror world. Um, and then we'll talk about both of those films. So we got a jam-packed episode for you guys today. And I uh, wanted to bring Jeff on because I wouldn't say, uh, like, I don't know if you're an expert, but you're definitely my friend who knows the most about Lovecraft out of anyone that I know. Uh, so I thought it'd be good to have you on the show. Yeah, expert might be a stretch. Uh, I've been reading him for many years and, and collecting his work uh, and watching the movies, of course. So uh, I know a bit about him and we'll uh, go through some of that today. Hell yeah. And uh, before we get on with the show and discuss our normal things, like what we are, what we've been up to, we're going to knock off a couple of movies that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, just have a casual conversation, and then we'll get into our main feature. What? Uh, so yeah, you've been in quarantine with the rest of us, you've been watching a bunch of movies. Have you seen anything lately you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, the stuff that I would normally be doing, I like to travel, I like to sit in the bar with my friends. I like to be in the theater. I like to be watching live bands. Uh, so obviously I'm doing none of that. Um, uh, you know what? I look back and um, I would have been in Florida right now. It's going to be like minus 50 here this weekend. And I would have been in Florida getting ready for a rock and roll cruise right now. So that's oh, sad. Damn. Which cruise? Uh, it's called the Monsters of Rock. Oh, cool. So there's like uh, Alice Cooper, Saxon, LA Guns, Queensryche, like kind of 80s, 90s, like hard rock metal kind of stuff. It's like a five-day cruise. Uh, last time I was on it, we went to, there's like 40, 50 bands. Uh, we went to Jamaica and we went to Haiti. Uh, and then you just like party and listen to music and go to Q&As and hang out with bands and stuff. So it would have been a nice break, but... Instead, I'm in my basement watching movies all the time now. <laughs> well, that's not so bad. At least it's not get, so le- bad. Yeah, at least we have that. Um, yeah. So what have you checked out recently? Uh, well, yeah, what I've been watching lately is just uh, doing um, some catching up on stuff that I just didn't have time to watch before. So uh, The Vast of Night, which you watched like, what, two years ago, won the festival in 2019, right? <laughs> Right, and you you were transporting, weren't you driving Joe Dante and Belinda Blasky at that time? Oh, yeah, that, the only movie that I missed the, the entire festival, and it won the whole thing because everyone freaked out for it. I finally <laughs> watched that this week. What'd you uh, think? I, I, it, I liked it. It was uh, it was good, but like everyone was freaking out over it so much. My expectations going in were super high. Yeah, that's not uh, the way to go into a movie like that either. Because <laughs> it's such yeah. a slow, dry movie. Yeah, and you know, I and I told my girlfriend we're gonna watch this movie, and she's like, "Oh man, like someone gonna get their face cut off?" And I'm like, "I don't know, maybe." And yeah, none of that happened at all. So uh, <laughs> it was uh, it it was different from what I thought it was gonna be, but it was good. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool little independent movie. What else you uh, got? I watched uh, um, High Life. Uh, it's a that French movie with the 
uh, prisoners that are in outer space going towards the black hole. Yeah, so that's with Robert Pattinson, right? Yep. Okay, this one came up last week as well. What did you? I still haven't seen it, but what did you think of it? Uh, again, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, it it was slow, uh, but it was good. It was effective. It was you know like a kind of a slow burn science fiction, you know, prisoners in space movie. It got uh, uh, a little draggy in spots, and the names not good, but uh, it's worth a watch. Yeah, I still want to check it out because I know Kyle, like Kyle Zervinsky, host of the show, he loved it, and I know Mitch Clark hates it. <laughs> like he hated that movie. Oh, I didn't. I listened to the show. Uh, I didn't hear him speaking about that one. Oh yeah, that, I, th- uh, I think it was uh, mainly like under his breath. I just know because we've had conversations about it before, and he said he really hated it. <laughs> um, I saw the uh, the Empty Man, which you and I have been texting back and forth about after we watched that. Uh, again, yeah, a movie that uh, John recommended from the film festival, uh, and I really liked it. And I can't put my finger on what I liked about it so much because it's not normally something that I would like. But yeah, I thought that that was really good. Yeah, it's like it seems like it would be your generic run of the mill horror movie that goes to like the Cineplex, uh, but it's actually nothing like that. <laughs> no, no. And the first like twenty minutes before the like that's the best the- part. Before the title even comes up is like craziness. So yeah, that was really good. Uh, and then uh, the other thing I'll mention is just to get ready for our, our talk about Stuart Gordon and and Lovecraft. I watched the Dreams in the Witch House, his episode of the Masters of Horror series, um, and then I went down that freaking rabbit hole and started watching a whole bunch of those again. And there's so uh, you know when those first came out, I think there was a couple of stinkers in there and it kind of threw everybody off the series, but there's some really good stuff in there. Um, the one that you talked about, the incident on and off a mountain road uh, with the director phantasm. Yeah. Don Coscarelli. Yeah. That one was really solid. The, the John Landis one uh, called deer woman was really good. Uh, John Carpenter did one called cigarette burns was great. Um, the Argento one called Jennifer, I really enjoyed. And then, um, the Takashi Makai one that, uh, never made it to air because it was just too fucking crazy is like super great. The, the guy who started the series, uh, the creator of everything, Mick Garris, um, he said that that was the most disturbing film he's ever seen. So yeah, it didn't air, but if you, I found it online and it's great. Yeah, yeah, I watched that recently, like when we did an Itchy the Killer episode, and I loved it. Like it's it is nuts, and I couldn't imagine it being on TV, at no. least back then. No, every every violation you can think of. Yep, right there for you, crammed into an hour. Yeah, no kidding, crazy. So, well, uh, that that's sounds good. Nice. Yeah, I want to start going through those master of, masters of horror episodes again. I've seen a bunch of them, but not all of them. Uh, I don't think I've seen the Stuart Gordon ones, so I think I'm going to go check those out after this. Um, But yeah, a couple things that I'm going to talk about. uh, I'll tie these ones in together because I I don't know in order of when we're going to release this episode. We already have an episode uh, locked and loaded, but we might push that one off a little bit. Uh, But I do talk about how I I, I currently just finished reading um, Don Coscarelli's book, true indie which i loved you'll you'll hear more about that on the next episode or whenever that drops uh but yeah i wanted so i've been wanting to go back and check out some of his movies or re-watch some and uh, i decided to watch baba hotep and john dies at the end 
So it's been years since I've watched Bubba Hotep. And are you a fan of Bubba Hotep? Uh, you know, I haven't seen that since it was brand new. Um, and uh, I remember it being okay. Uh, yeah. I might get more out of it now, though. Yeah, it's it's a strange one because like I I remember really liking it as a kid, and I always like my my friend Jason and I we were just talking about this how we always have we have this memory that we love Bubba Hotep, but every time we watch it, it kind of it's it's okay, but it's not nothing amazing. It's just it's a you know his style is those independent movies where it's very much his his unique vision, and uh, like this one he crammed in uh, you got Bruce Campbell playing Elvis which is, of course, awesome. He's he's always great, and especially in this role, he's awesome. Aussie Davis plays uh, John F. Kennedy. So it's it's hilarious watching two old guys in a retirement home think that they are other people like Elvis Presley or John F. Kennedy, and Aussie Davis is a black man, so it makes it extra funny uh, when he's he's getting all paranoid about the, the JFK shootings and all the conspiracies behind it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just the movie itself is it's fun. I think the first half is where the strengths are. It's really funny in the beginning because it's written by Joe R. Lansdale, who he wrote cold and cold in July. Uh, there's a movie adaptation of it from a couple years ago that I loved. His son actually worked on the pale door, Aaron B. Koontz's movie. Uh, so Joe, Joe R. Lansdale's son is, he was credited on that. Um, but yeah, there's some like hilarious dialogue and some great performances but it's just heartbreaking knowing that we will never get a sequel to this because Don Coscarelli has been planning one for a long time called Baba Nosferatu. And um, it's never going to happen because Bruce Campbell's a diva and he doesn't want to do it. So like if they ever do make about, they were talking about casting Ron Perlman as Elvis. And I'm like, Oh God, no, please. No. But, like it's just such a shame after seeing like when you got Bruce Campbell, you can't recast him. Like it's just never going to work. Uh, but yeah, the movie, the movies, uh, I think the main issue with it is it's got some major pacing issues. It's like pretty slow in parts. And then I don't know, I, I just couldn't get a read on it. Uh, but overall, it's all right. Uh, definitely not my favorite Coscarelli film, but I don't hate it either. The other one that I watched, John Dies at the End, it's based on the novel by David Wong. Have you seen this movie? I've I read the novel and it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, when the movie came out i kind of read some a uh, little bit about it and everybody was saying like no it's so not like the book don't even you know fool yourself yeah. so i never did get around to watching it yeah and see now so when it came out i hated it because i was also i love that book i had such a good time reading that book and uh reading even his sequel a uh, book is, this book is full of spiders is even better if if anyone out there wants something good to read this book is full of spiders is awesome uh but yeah i i hated this this movie when it came out it. and it's because it it skips a massive chunk of the book uh which is obviously for budgetary reasons and uh, watching it again today, separated from the book, I actually really enjoyed it. And I saw a lot of things that, you know, because I know a lot of people who really did like it, but they didn't read the book. So, and you know, it's always one of those things where I never want to be that guy who's like, eh, the book is better. You can never do it as good as the book or whatever. But like, it, it, it is a completely different entity, but it was, uh, it's pretty solid. And I, I think they killed it with the casting with Chase Williamson. He It was his first movie role, his first role in anything. He played the lead as David. And since he's been in a bunch of independent horror movies like Scare Package 
and uh, oh yeah, Beyond the Gates with uh, Barbara Crampton, who we'll be talking about today at length. Uh, but yeah, Paul Giamatti and Clancy Brown in this thing. Um, it's just another example of like Don Coscarelli's indie roots and in him sacrificing a lot of money and resources to do it his way. And there's something commendable about that. So while it's not fully successful because of like, I think he could have used a little bit of help because uh, clearly they couldn't pull off like a third of that book because it's so inc- it's so insane. Yeah, it's too crazy. Um, yeah, it's so crazy. But the thing is what they do that what they do pull off looks awesome. Like there's a lot of really great practical effects in there. There's tons of creatures. Uh, the meat monster from the beginning of the book, like everyone who's read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. The meat monster's awesome. And uh, of course, the flaccid dick on the door. It's just a, yeah, it's a, it was, it's a fun movie. I, I definitely give it a thumbs up now. Uh, now that I'm more like, you know, separated from, from the, the book. Uh, but yeah, those are the two that I checked out. I guess I'll knock one more off just quickly. I watched Rear Window again recently, mm. like the Alfred Hitchcock movie. Are you yeah, a fan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Hitchcock's it's been the master. Absolutely. It's been years since I've seen Rear Window. And like, man, that movie is just still so good. And like the use of light in that film is groundbreaking. Like they're, especially at the end, uh, if you're looking for something like a, an old school thriller, you can't get much better than Rear Window. It's just it's it's awesome. But uh like everything down to like the framing and the camera movements like surprise surprise there's a lot to learn from alfred hitchcock uh but rear window is up there as one of my favorites of his i'd have to say um but yeah there's only there's only one glaring issue and that's like him you know you're watching uh jason stewart watch through the window and like he's got the the neighbor across the way who's committing these crimes and he's just got big wide open windows no blinds no nothing and he's doing it all in like broad daylight uh, but that's that's just something you got to suspend a little disbelief when it comes to these types of movies. But still, yeah. such a great such a great movie. So I highly recommend going back and checking it out again. Anybody who's not seen it has seen it because the Simpsons episode. Yep, Simpsons or uh, they, like it's been riffed on so many times. They made that Shia LaBeouf movie Disturbia, which is like basically <laughs> a copy of Rear Window. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's tons of movies. I'm tra- I'm drawing a blank on, but there's a bunch of movies that. Uh, the, you know they they could they should have done a rear window version with Lindsay Lohan when she had her when she was under house arrest. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's in the movie. All right. Yep. Uh, you need to be a movie producer. Yep, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's everything I checked out. So we can just get right into the main feature. Well, the the main feature is going to be the the main beef of this episode. So. Uh, We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk all things HP Lovecraft. Stay tuned. All right, and let's kick off this HP Lovecraft Stuart Gordon special strong. Uh, So, Jeff, where when did you come to the works of HP Lovecraft? So I grew up in a, a small town here in Saskatchewan. So in my formidable years, uh, when I was like a, a teenager is when I first started hearing about him as he kind of permeated my, you know, the popular culture that was, that I was into at the time. So same thing I'm into now. So horror movies and, and the heavy metal and, and, you know, horror stories. So in 1984, uh, Metallica put out their second album, Ride the Lightning. And there's a song on there called Call of Cthulhu. 
Yeah. And that was the first time I'd heard Cthulhu, the word Cthulhu. Uh, 85, um, Iron Maiden put out an album called uh, Live After Death. And on the cover, um, Eddie is bursting out of a grave. And on the tombstone, there's a quote from H.P. Lovecraft on the on their cover. Uh, then the year after that, 86, Metallica puts out Master of Puppets. And there's a song on there called The Thing That Should Not Be. So at the same time, Stephen King is starting to proclaim that H.P. Lovecraft is one of the greatest horror writers, if not the greatest that's ever lived. Reanimator comes out in 85, From Beyond comes out in 86. So all of a sudden, all the stuff that I was into, H.P. Lovecraft seemed to be popping up. And this pre-internet days, right? So, And I lived in a small town, like I said, so it's not like Metallica's album came out and I had it the next week. It took a year or two for this stuff to come out, so... The stuff was out and about, but by the time I got it, it was probably a year or two again after everything that was coming out. You know, we we had a the theater that I in the town I lived in was like the Broadway theater, right? Just a single screen, so it's not like From Beyond was playing there when it came Ooh, out that year. So uh, I had to wait to you know rent it on VHS. Um, but that's where I first came into contact as he started to permeate the popular culture that I was into in the mid '80s. Uh, then I started to track it down because if King and Metallica and uh, Stuart Gordon's endorsing him, I got to figure out, you know, what this guy's all about. Uh, and so then when I'd come to the city, I'd go to the bookstores and start scouring and looking for, you know, as much of the stuff that I could find and buy. Uh, and then just started reading it and devouring it from there. Uh, and then when you're, you know, when I was in university and you'd be sitting on the bus coming home from school and you'd be reading a Lovecraft book, the people that knew it would stop and sit down and talk to you about it. So it was a, it was this like, you know, click of people that, oh man, you're reading Lovecraft. Have you read this? Have you read this? Have you read this? And the fans were, were fans. They were, they were big fans into it. Uh, that's kind of my first exposure and my first, um, you know. Uh, time I started reading them. What about you? Uh, I I can't remember the exact time where I discovered Lovecraft, but I would have to say the first movie that I saw that made me aware of him uh, was In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter movie, which was a, a loose adaptation of At the Mountains of Madness. And uh, I just, I love that movie till this day. And uh, so I always wanted to you know, I heard the words like cosmic horror being thrown around or Lovecraftian horror. And that actually leads me to my question to you. Like, what is Lovecraftian horror to you? Because so many people just think if there's tentacles in it, it's a Lovecraft. It's a Lovecraft story, which that's semi true. Like that's he, there's definitely roots back to Lovecraft and the Cthulhu and all the sea monster stuff and creatures. Um, but to me, it's it's much more than that. I wanted to get your opinion on that. Yeah, to me, it's it's got to have a it's got to have that cosmic element in it. To me, it's it's cosmic horror to me and the, the roots of it. If you Google movies influenced by Lovecraft, you'll get a list that includes like the Lighthouse. Yeah, totally. And the the Lighthouse, you know, they might the equivalent there was well, people are going insane and there's a mermaid, so therefore it's influenced by Lovecraft. There's a bit of a stretch to me. I would say it's got to have those cosmic horror elements in and specific themes of helplessness and hopelessness uh, that we'll see in the movies that we're going to talk about today. But I want to, when I kind of go through a bit of his history, I didn't want to just, you know, rattle off some history that you can, everybody can look up on Wikipedia. I want to talk about 
some of the stuff that happened in his life and then some themes that, you know, kind of run through his writing based on what's happened in his life. And to me, it's got to be cosmic and it's got to have some of these themes or most of these themes that run through it to really be considered Lovecraft. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, like, cause I, like I said, my, my knowledge of the man himself is quite brief. I've read a bunch of his short stories by now. And uh, I was actually reading Dagon this morning uh, after watching that. Like I, spoiler, uh, Dagon. That was my first time watch last night. I uh, I hadn't seen it before. At least I I thought I did, but I I definitely haven't. Um, so I was reading his story there, and yeah, it's just a, the his way of writing. It's you can just pick up pretty much any piece. Like you could go to any paragraph that he's written, and you'll be able to tell that it's Lovecraft just by his style. Uh, sure. He's got such a distinct writing style. Um, but yeah, like that's, and I know like he, uh, I've just heard, so that's why I'm happy that you're here. I've heard about his really troubled upbringing and like the town that he was living in and everything. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So, uh, he was, I'll, you know, kind of going some chronological order with him. Um, so we're talking about somebody that, you know, literally a hundred years ago, we're going to be talking about, but he's never been more popular now than ever. Um, so he was born in, you know, in 1890, um, his father died when he was eight. Uh, he had a psychotic break and was committed to the mental institution when he was three and he was in a mental institution for five years. Um, we know a lot about Lovecraft's life from all the letters that he wrote. Uh, he was a heavily into corresponding with people and writing, you know, letters with people. Uh, some people have done some background research on his his, his life himself, but most of what we know is from what he would write to other people. Um, so his father was in the insane uh, asylum, uh, probably driven insane by uh, untreated syphilis. His mother, by all accounts, uh, wasn't very nice to him. Uh, she made him stay inside most of the time because she didn't want him bothering other people. Uh, she was diagnosed with a mental illness and committed to the same asylum, uh, and she died there in 1921. So both parents uh, in the same asylum, both driven insane, both died there. And that theme of insanity really runs through his, his work. The characters can't cope with the truths that they're, un- that they're discovering and they're witnessing. Uh, and actually, if they learn too much, they just simply go insane. So uh, talking about what makes Lovecraftian horror, uh, to me, there needs to be an element of that man is ignorant because if you know too much you're gonna go crazy from that and your brain is actually protecting you by not letting you understand what's going on around you uh and i think we'll see that in the movies we're going to talk about too yeah totally that's definitely a theme that i that i always associate with lovecraft is the the fear of the unknown and knowing too much uh so that that makes sense that it runs so deep in his in his life um, yeah. And like, there are theories that he was like a product of inbreeding. Cause like the, his whole town was, uh, very, <laughs> they had a high population of inbred people in there. So just being around that and, you know, hearing about his parents, you can just imagine how fucked that would make you like how yeah. mentally destroyed you could be from, from just seeing the world that way. Like he, he obviously did not see the world the way that a lot of us luckily do. Yeah, no, he was like, when he was a kid, he was really sickly. He never finished high school. Um, He rarely left the house during the day because he would have panic attacks and he just didn't like being around people. Um, There's letters that reference him having 
panic attacks in school and and just not really being able to fit in with other kids. So they just kept him at home. But when he was a little kid, his grandfather was quite wealthy and they lived, you know, a fairly comfortable life. Uh, but when he was a teenager and his grandfather died, the lawyer messed up the inheritance. Uh, they, there was no money left. They went from living in a quite comfortable life to now him and his mother uh, moved in with another family and shared like a shithole house. Um, so, you know, just nothing really positive as as a kid in those formidable years. Um, and then if you look at the themes in some of his writing, a lot of the heroes in the tales are, you know, loners and they're isolated. Uh, they're kind of socially reclusive and they're not, you know, playboys or gallivanting around like other stories you would have read in the 20s and 30s. Uh, and then they usually have some sort of academic or scholarly traits to them that kind of make up for their shortcomings. So, uh, again, in the movies we're going to talk about, you know, no one there is none of those characters are really you know, outgoing, but they're smart. Right. So, so they kind of make up for that. Yeah, totally. It, it just makes sense that a, a guy like him would get so lost in his work and especially lost in these types of worlds that, you know, he's obviously living such a, he like to, to him is probably just mundane. Like he wasn't getting any attention, didn't have very many friends. Uh, so like a lot of the great artists out there, you know, they, they find their passion when they're forced to be alone and face themselves. Uh, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's tough to say how, uh, how it, you know, it, if he would have been the writer that he is, if uh, or that he was, if he were, you know, not a not a victim of these circumstances. Yeah, I think he just felt like he he never really fit in, and then um, when his work started to get picked up, uh, that didn't happen until he was thirty three. Started to get published in the pulp magazines, mostly in weird tales, is where you'll hear most of his stories. Were and the the pulps at that time were called pulp magazines because they were printed on really cheap pulp paper. So they were throwaway magazines. They were 10, 15 cents. There was other magazines out there that were glossy. They were called glossies. And those were the more, um, you know, elaborate magazines that had a bit more weight behind them. But the pulps were just read them once, kind of throw them away. Uh, as a kid, you know, if you went up to the, the newsstand, you had your choice of pulps. Like there was fantasy, there was horror, there was, railroad there was romance there was mystery so the chance of you picking up something and reading about lovecraft was was pretty small so some of them had a big circulation some of them kind of limited um, but when he started to get published in the pulps i think he found a bit of a belonging and a bit of a community there because there was other writers that were doing the same thing as he was doing and then you know a year after he got published in the pulps and he's is and he started to make very very little money the pulps paid between half a cent and one cent a word. Um, so there's, you know, no way he was making a living on that. He did manage to meet a woman. Uh, he was 34 at this time. Uh, she was a Jewish immigrant, which will play into what we're going to talk about later. Uh, and she was like super successful. She was a journalist. She traveled for work all the time. She was making enough money that she would mail him an allowance uh, when she wrote. And uh, that lasted about two years and then he was divorced and that was the end of that. So another theme that you kind of see in his writing uh, is there's very few female characters. If there is a female character that, you know, relationship is kind of sinister, mysterious. Um, he's uh, it's you, almost all men that are the characters and that are interacting with each other in his stories. 
Yeah, and uh, while we're on that topic, they, it's also mostly, all, oh, actually, sorry, always white men. Uh, so, like, I don't know about, a, like, I, I'm familiar with the controversy, but uh, I have no idea where, like, when it first started being dug up and, like, how people are talking about, uh, like, it would be, it makes it hard to praise a man that's this brilliant when we know that he was a sexist, uh, sexist and racist. Yeah. So where, where does that stuff kind of stem from? Yeah, I think, I think what's happened is as this popularity that we're talking about is, you know, more popular now than ever, as that popularity has grown, people are taking a more critical look at some of those letters uh, and reading more into them and taking a more critical look at, at the, you know, the racism doesn't appear in too many stories, but it does appear in the stories, and I don't want to gloss over that. Uh, but it definitely appears in the letters. So we're talking about a time between the world wars when he's doing his writing, right? So World War II hasn't happened yet, but he's got letters in there where he's talking about how much he likes Hitler. Um, oh God! Yeah, the, there's he's um, he's talking about you know about the you know African Americans being a you know an, an inferior race to the whites. He, he he was a white supremacist. There's no other way to put it. And I think as people are starting to as he becomes more popular and people are starting to read more about it and saying, wait a minute, taking a more critical look at that stuff. That's where the struggle is coming in and struggle for me too, because as I start to look at it and can you separate the art from the artist? Cause that's what I've been doing. I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of HP Lovecraft's work. I'm not a fan of HP Lovecraft yeah. and is that the right thing to do? And it's something that I struggle with. And, uh, you know, I throw it to you for, for your thoughts on that. It's, t it's very tough. And especially, you know, I don't know, we've had, we're living in this day and age where obviously you're listening to a podcast where at one point, not too long ago, we had a segment of the show called the cancellation corner. <laughs> so we were, uh, we were buying into this whole like cancel culture and uh, um, you know, there's obviously people need to be, held accountable for their actions and i you certainly won't hear either of us praise lovecraft as a person um because but that's it makes it so hard because his his body of work is bigger than he is and uh that's that's the case for a lot of a lot of these situations and you look at guys like roman plansky one of my favorite movies of all time is rosemary's baby but it's like it's it's a struggle to even condone watching that movie anymore just because you know what a monster the monster who is behind it and yeah. uh you know obviously you got to look at uh his upbringing he's clearly troubled and um you know I, I i'm one of those guys who i do believe in rehabilitation but uh that's just not an option with hp lovecraft he's he died when he's 47 years old so yeah he died very young he was obviously messed up but there's no excuses for that and uh it makes it really hard to to want to, you know, luckily he's not getting any money right now because uh, he's dead. But yeah, like it's it's a tough subject because I didn't know about like I don't know when you found out about all that stuff, but I found out about it like way, way, way after I had seen From Beyond and Reanimator and then read some of his short stories and I never really picked up on any of that stuff. It was actually like I read an article about what his cat's name was, which was the N word man. And it's like. That's just brutal. It's just brutal to imagine supporting someone like that. Yeah, no, I'm the same as you. I've been a, you know, I've I've read the work for 
uh, do the math, 40 years. And this is, or not 40 years, 20 years. I can't do the math. Uh, but it's been recent where this is really, you know, there's more articles and more critical looks taking at him. Um, awards that were named after him for, um, you know, outstanding writing uh, are being changed because people don't want to Lovecraft of, uh, you know, a bust of him in their homes anymore. Uh, so it's been recent for me too. And I, I think he nailed it with some of the, I want to say, you know, um, people saying, well, you know, this was, that's how it was back then, right? This is yeah. the, this is the, the great depression and it's the thirties and people were looking for someone to blame what happened. And, and, uh, you know, whites were considered a superior race at that time, but you know, fuck that. Like there's millions of non-whites that were like, no, this isn't right. So you can't just brush it under the, the rug saying, well, he's a, he was a product of his time, but, um, because not everybody felt that way, right? It, yeah, it was that, it was him. That's always a lame like uh like that's always something that people always bring up is like it was a different time, blah blah blah. It's like yeah, that's that's why like you know like when people are uh, more lenient on their racist grandpas or racist uncles and stuff like that, like it's it's just not. There's a certain level of hate that has to be in your heart to actually feel that way. And I don't think that that has anything to do with the time. That just is going to be like you're just a flawed person and maybe not an overly intelligent person to the point. Like that's why it's hard with the debate of H.P. Lovecraft because he was clearly talented and smart uh, with what he was doing. But as a human, he was just an idiot <laughs> because yeah. he was ignorant to it all. Yeah. And I mean, this was, you know, the Great Depression. Um was the worst economic times in American history so far. Uh, yeah, and I feel a lot like we got people, another one coming up. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were going through some terrible shit. So yeah. to say, you know, while he went, he had a bad upbringing and he, you know, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't fly anymore. So I, I'm, you know, I, I struggle with it more. I'm not sure what to do with it. I'm, you know, for a long time, I separated the, the art from the artist, but I, you know, I'm open to, thoughts from you and your listeners on you know how do you how do you deal with this yeah yeah and i i'd be curious to hear what our listeners would think so like if you are listening you can message us on our website www.theterratable.com or at theterratable at gmail.com we'd love to hear your thoughts on this and we'll read it on an upcoming episode if you'd like uh but it is it's it's tough man because like you know we're both huge music fans as well especially in metal and punk and uh you know that shit's it, like people are you're there's no secrets anymore which is a good thing to an extent like when people are being held accountable for their you, you know unspeakable actions like i'm thinking of guys like jesse lacy a brand new i'm not sure if you were ever a brand new fan but that was a band that i was a very 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 big fan of them i honestly consider them my favorite band for years and years and years because of the singer's writing like i i loved his his stories that he would tell in his songs but then finding out about him as a person i'm like damn i related to this piece of shit <laughs> like i it makes you question yourself and it's like do are my morals skewed and is there something wrong with me but i think it's all about just having that conversation and knowing that uh like just not ignoring it that's why i'm happy we're talking about it on this because yeah. yeah. at a certain extent like you know are we gonna write these movies off like that Stuart gordon and brian usna worked their asses off on like all these people, like you look at guys like Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, they made like illustrious careers because of them, because of H.P. Lovecraft's stories. Um, so that there's a positive impact in the world. But I think as long as you're holding the people accountable 
and you're not just like forgetting and brushing it off. That's really all you can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm and, not going to throw and, these movies out. <laughs> and, uh, and so then that's why I, you know, made the point of saying that his wife who he was married to briefly was a Jewish immigrant. So by all accounts, he, he didn't like Jewish people. He was a fan of Hitler, but he married a Jewish woman. So he was, he was not a great person and he was super confused. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I think we covered that pretty well. Is there, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of Lovecraft and his inspiration on the world? Like, let's talk about his work, the inspiration that his work has had on the world. You know, yeah. we already talked about Metallica and Iron Maiden. Like that stuff's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, like, so when he, you know, he, he did have some friends, uh, through correspondence, through, through letters. Um, and, uh, he was friends with Houdini, uh, a year after he became friends with Houdini, Houdini died. Uh, he was friends with, uh, Robert E. Howard, uh, who was, who was at the same time inventing his own mythology of Conan, uh, writing in the pulps, um, when, when Robert E. Howard was uh, um, 30, he drove out to the desert and shot himself. Um, so there's a, another theme that kind of goes through the writing is a sense of hopelessness and helplessness and that we are, you know, we have no control over what's happening uh, and it's just going to happen. And it's just a big, vast universe that doesn't give a shit about us. Um, and I think that's one of the, going back to when did I first start reading about him when I started to read that kind of stuff that was a super brand new you know ideas to me and for some reason that was really appealing to, to what I was reading um, by the time he died he was unknown he was penniless he was re he was eating expired food and you see all those pictures of him he's really got like skinny he's, uh, yeah. he's very skinny he's very pale he looks sickly yeah he was sick like he wasn't eating um, yeah. he didn't have any money uh, and even when he died, when he was, uh, you know, 46, 47 years old, there was no money for a tombstone. The tombstone came in the seventies when a few fans got some money together and, and put up a tombstone for him. So he died, uh, completely unknown except for the, you know, a few of the pulp magazines that had his stories in them. So he, he was writing like we said in the 20s and 30s if you take a look at you know what was popular fiction at that time so it's like you know the great gatsby and the grapes of wrath and gone with the wind so you know if you're sitting around with your friends and you're like oh you've read any good books lately and someone's like oh man i read the great gatsby and i'm you know wondering about the american dream and how do i fit in and overindulgence and i you know struggling with this and you're like oh yeah i read about this story where there's like we're in one dimension and there's all these other dimensions. And if you're like in a place <laughs> where they cross this, like witch will come through it. Cause it's a portal and she'll convince you to kill children. You know, people would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he made, he was like one of the original edge Lords. Yeah. And he, and he wouldn't like, he never did revisions. Right. It, he was, if you didn't want a story, he didn't care. Like people like Robert E. Howard had, agents are they're out there pushing his work and saying you know you know if you change this or change this or change this i think we could publish it and he would because he was a writer but lovecraft just wouldn't if you didn't want his story he wouldn't revise it he wouldn't rework it he just well just sit right um so he just wasn't connecting to to people at the time um what i did was take a look at like some of the 
to tie back into your your podcast some of the popular horror movies at the time right so in the 20s people were into phantom of the opera and dr jekyll and mr hyde and the hunchback and Notre dame and then when you get into the 30s it's like dracula and frankenstein and the mummy like there's no talk of aliens in outer space no. he just wasn't resonating with anybody right get into the 40s and 50s and the atomic age and advancements in science and space exploration then you start to see some of those movies that are gonna have that theme in them right so you got godzilla invasion of the body snatchers and the blob that's kind of closer to what yeah. he was writing and people were opening their mind and new you know that maybe some of this stuff is resonating now and then we get into the 60s that's when you start to see some of his stuff being produced so 1963 the haunted palace was based on a case of charles dexter ward 65 die monster dives based on the color out of space uh in 67 the shuttered room and 1970 the dunwich horror the same time the twilight zone and night gallery were starting to yeah. use his yeah. uh, influences so now you're starting to see people get it right they're they're understanding what he's talking about and they're interested in it when before you know if i went to the movie with my girlfriend and watched dracula why would i have no interest in reading about a giant monster that lives at the bottom of the ocean it's just yeah. resting waiting there to destroy mankind it just didn't make sense to me right that's a really good observation i never i never really thought of that but it also ties into like where we're at as a culture and like horror films now is uh everything's been done we're at the point where like people are trying so hard to find a different way to be creative uh but everything has se has seemingly been done and that's why i think people are they're resident they're they're going back to his work because you can find just like some of the most bizarre stories and the craziest ideas that people would never have dreamed of putting on screen because they just didn't have the resources to do so and then now you have uh richard stanley's color out of space uh you look at that like that's a movie that just like would not have been able to happen and uh it's it's now known and people love it because it's so fucking nuts <laughs> yeah i think you can i think you can take a look at horror movies as a reflection of what was happening at the time and what were people what was resonating with people and what were they going to be scared of right and the stuff that he was writing at the time was so out there i mean that it doesn't even scare me because i can't even really understand it right yeah. but you make a good point on what's you know what's resonating now and and what's new well I, and i think especially in this last year all these conspiracy theories that are you know bigger than ever right there there's there's thousands of people right now that think the war that the earth is flat right <laughs> and if you don't if you don't understand that they get frustrated that you can't understand it how come you can't see what i see right there's people that think that president trump was waging a war against satan worshiping pedophiles right they believe <laughs> that right and you and how come you can't see that and that's lovecraft man like how come you can't understand that there is a race of like people that are half fish and half human and they're like going to bring this god from the bottom of the ocean like how come you can't understand that and i'm tired of trying to explain it to you right that like that's resonating with people with all the crazy conspiracies that people are like well yeah that that's true i totally believe that yeah the fuck that's so true yeah great observations well if you if you want like uh, unless you have other things you want to talk about here we can just get into the the double feature uh yeah i just uh just to touch base on the the color out of space the i think you're right 
the advancements in in um, technology is making these movies possible. And the two we're going to talk about are, were great, especially for the time. Um, what makes making his movies so difficult is the language that he uses that a lot of things are undescribable, right? Yeah. And a lot of things um, are your feeble human brain can't really grasp them. So he'll try to explain what it looks like, but he really leaves it up to the reader to understand that. So like in the color out of space, the, the color itself is from the elements and the particles on the comet that are like hanging in the air. And it's an undescribable color um, because humans haven't seen this color before and you can't really grasp it. But in the movie, it's pink. Right? Yeah, exactly. And you <laughs> so, know, we kind of we'll see that in From Beyond as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That it's 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 difficult to difficult to get your, you know, really stay true to the story because a lot of it is leaving up to you. Some of the monsters that he got are, you know, that he's created are so outrageous, like they're oily blobs that are just eyes. Well, you know, that's what I see in my head is completely different from what you see in your head, but then yeah. somebody puts it on the screen, you're like, oh, it's not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Um, Del Toro uh, has been trying to make a At the Mountains of Madness movie for the last decade, um, and he just can't get the money to do it. James Cameron was attached to co-produce it. Tom Cruise was going to star in it. And if anybody can pull it off and make it as close to that content as, as it can be and get the same vision that people see when they read it, I think it's probably him. Oh God, I would love to see a Guillermo del Toro like Lovecraft story. Yeah, I've been kind of following it for for years, and there was, you know, at one point it has to be rated R. There's no way to get around the violence in the in the the book is fantastic. Like he, he's one person who can pull it off. But I think for a long time, the you know filmmaker or the film community just thought that you know rated R couldn't make enough money for what it was going to cost to to do that but i think that's changed now with some of the success of some of the rated r films that we've seen out there yeah totally and you can just you the, i think the bottom line the moral of this story is in order to pull off lovecraft you got to be an absolute fucking madman or mad woman like you got to be insane and uh one of those people that was able to do it is Stuart Gordon, who uh, directed both of the films that we're discussing today. Uh, we're going to start with From Beyond and then go on to Dagon. But yeah, Stuart Gordon passed away in March of last year, but he left behind a bunch of fantastic horror films. Like we got, Re he's the man behind Reanimator, From Beyond, Dolls, which is very underrated. If you haven't seen Dolls, it's actually great. Uh, the Pit and the Pendulum remake with Lance Henriksen, Castle Freak, Dagon, and uh space truckers do you have you seen space truckers i have not seen space truckers no i completely forgot about, i still have never seen it but i remember seeing the the cover of it at the movie store all the time and it's just like such a bizarre idea uh but then yeah and then you you talked about recently that he did two episodes of masters of horror so you look at it and that's like a good chunk of his of his filmography is tied to hp lovecraft and his stories um so yeah, they, we got him pulling that off. And then also, the, both of these are Brian Usna uh, collaborations. So Brian Usna was a legendary director behind the body horror classic Society. Uh, he did Bride of Reanimator, Return of the Living Dead 3, Necronomicon, The Dentist, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 and 5. Uh, so this is another madman. And uh, it would make sense as to, I think we can both just say, like, we'll, we'll start talking about it, but I really like both of these movies. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think you're dead on that. That Stuart Gordon got Lovecraft. He under he understood yeah. um, the vision, and he was able to visually pull it off, even with the limitations that he had in staying. Well, the the story from Beyond is like three thousand words. It's like six or seven pages, and it's yeah. so it's a loose adaptation. But you almost need that at some extent. Uh, to some extent, because that gives you the freedom to do what you want with the story and still make a Lovecraft, I think. Yeah, no kidding. And he did the same thing with Reanimator. Like, I know the the story of Reanimator is so different from the actual film. So he takes his own, um, uh, like he 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 puts his own stamp on everything. But uh, I think, it, like for the most part, he's been successful almost his whole career, especially in the ones that I I had named off here before. But um, so from beyond is also it's starring Jeffrey Combs, the always exuberant Jeffrey Combs. We also have Ken Forey thrown in here from Dawn of the Dead as the masculine cop. Is he a cop a detective? So, one of those things. Detective uh, Bubba. Yeah, Detective Bubba. And then uh, we got <laughs> Barbara Crampton, the patron saint of 80s horror. And like, let's just get our gross masculinity out of the way right now and just say, good mother God. <laughs> Jesus, she has always been so gorgeous. Like, but she's also like she's in so many movies that I love, and she's always great in them. And uh, there's a film that I'm going to be talking about on an upcoming episode that I watched. I'm not talking about here because I need Kyle and Boozy for that one. Uh, but she's in a new, like, she's in a new movie called Run Hide Fight, and she plays a teacher. And it's like she's the same age as my parents, and she looks forty. Like, she looks <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, but I love that she came back to acting. She came back after a long hiatus uh, for Your Next, the Adam Wingard uh, slasher film, which she played the mom in. And she's great in that, too. And now she's been taking on more and more roles. And it's it's nice to have her back because there just is only one Barbara Crampton. I know that's, you know, obviously, but it's like she, no one does it like her and no one has the on-screen presence as her. Um, so I'm hoping that can get all my male horniness out of the way and we can just move on. Well, we, we can say that she's like super attractive and, and, and super hot in these movies, but also very, very talented. Like yeah. she's, she's the, um, I was reading that Gordon wanted to cast her for this role. Uh, and the executives are like, I don't know. She's, you know, she might look too young and too good looking to be believable as a, as a doctor. And he's like, come on, like this is the yeah. perfect person to play this. Yeah, no. And that's true. And also that's just a thing in horror movies. Like you look at, um, just off the top of my head as above, so below is all these like archeologists, but they're all like hot teenagers. Basically, <laughs> like, They look like they're fresh out of high school and they all look like supermodels. It's like, yeah, people don't give a shit about that. Like, especially <laughs> Barbara Crampton, she delivers the goods. Like she's a good actress and she's, she's just very talented. Um, yeah, so yeah, and that was the part of this movie that you were going to be like, oh no, it's too much of a stretch. I mean, yeah. People aren't going to believe it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no kidding. In such a bizarre movie. It, to be fair, in my notes, I do actually have a little bit of a criticism uh, about it because, like, she. Exp okay, let's just get into it here. Every journey begins in the mind. <laughs> a flight of imagination. <laughs> vision of what might lie across the universe or within the deepest regions of the subconscious Dr. Edward Pretorius is about to embark on such a journey It's out of control, you've got to turn it off Some things come 
the makers of Reanimator from beyond. The the movie is built. It's based around um, Jeffrey Combs and his his part. What I always forget his name. Ted Sorrell. So Doctor Edward Pretorius and uh, Crawford Tillinghast. They build a resonator, which is a machine which allows whoever is within the range to see beyond normal perception of reality. Um, and so it basically opens up another dimension and it gives them, uh, they, they're accessing the penile gland is what they say, I think. That's where you get the little weird dick thing that comes out of Jeffrey Combs's head. And yep. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a machine that makes you hella horny and then see another dimension. Because they always talk about how they're getting, like Ken Forey's like, I got a bone. Does that explain my boner or my heart on? Like, you know what I'm talking about? It's so fucking weird. Yeah, the uh, so as you can, uh, you might have collected from my, the way that Lovecraft thought about women. None of that's in the story. He didn't care about the building of the sex. He had no female characters in it. Um, well, there's a maid that goes missing very briefly. Uh, but all the whole sex part, that's, yeah, that's Stuart Gordon throwing that in there. Yeah, and I actually, that's a good time to point out that I love the... Um, what what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like pe- people are making their own choices about what they're going to do with Lovecraft's work, as in include like, for example, Lovecraft Country, the TV show is an all black cast, like or at least primarily black cast. And then you see that in Color Out of Space, you see it in From Beyond, um, you see it in almost like uh, most of the the best H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. They include people of color or like a strong connection to a female character they they build on that character to make the story better or at least you know suit the day and age that they were coming out in that's i, I did not know that she wasn't in the story at all because that's such <laughs> a huge part of the story it's all about that guy who's just way too horny and he's got a weird kink and that's yeah, basically how this the, happens the story um like i said the story was three thousand words so if we go do the math you know lovecraft got 15 or 30 bucks for it uh and that was that uh, he, after he wrote it and then it sat for like 14 years before anybody bought it or sold it. Um, but the story itself is just the two male scientists, uh, and w- the Jeffrey Combs character goes over to the other guy's house and they, they talk about the resonator, uh, and then it's, you know, destroyed before it can unleash any more madness on the world. It's pretty short. Um, it's good. Uh, but it's yeah, the way that it rolled out on the cinema is totally different. And and the addition, I agree with you. The Barbara Crampton character is super interesting character, and in that she's the hero of the story. Yeah. But she's also the one that keeps making them turn the machine back on and getting into the situations <laughs> that they're in. Yeah, she just can't stay away from the the sexy robot machine that <laughs> makes everyone turned on. Yeah. It's such a such a strange concept but at the same time like this movie i think it it clocks in at about an hour and 26 minutes somewhere yeah. around there god is it lean and just it gets right down to the point and it moves so fast the pacing is no issue in this film like it is just so solid front to back and uh you also have like like what we were mentioning before that like the lovecraft color like in the color out of space like obviously it's very similar to what you see in from beyond it's like it's basically like a it's like a gory pink, magnificent purple bouquet of cotton candy and and uh, nerds. Like it just, it looks like cotton candy to me, and I love that. And it's so gorgeous to look at. Yeah, and it's got the, you know, in the original story, 
you can't see the creatures. Um, they're indescribable, right? They're not like the fish and stuff. And but to stay true to Lovecraft, because Gordon got it, the main monster is a slime ball that's constantly shifting and changing and and adjusting. And he's slimy and he's a blob. And I mean, that just comes from from knowing, you know, the author's other work. Yeah, totally. And then you have the incredible effects team behind this movie. So they had K and B with it, which was like Robert Kurt uh, or Bob Kurtzman, uh, Howard Berger, and Greg Nicotero. And uh, they had they not only had that, those guys, but they also had John Carl Buechler, who is like the director of Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. He did like one of my favorite Jason designs for Part Seven. Jason looks amazing in that, but he's a legendary effects artist. And then Mark Showstrom, who worked on a bunch of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, most most notably for his work in Dream Warriors. So you look at these heavy hitters, like these guys, they're the best in the business, is all working on this movie. And it shows. Like the the effects are unreal. Uh, yeah. There's obviously some computer-generated effects as well, which don't look as good, but it actually kind of, it adds to the campy nature of the film. And uh, I just, I enjoy watching that. I, I know we're, we're going to have a different discussion when we get to Dagon, uh, but the, the makeup in this film is just nuts. Yeah, and, and Reanimator, as you mentioned, came out the year before uh, with pretty much the same team. I, I think it did so well that that's where the extra money came through to to put some extra cash into this budget and get the effects up to where they thought it needed to be. But, you know, when I was, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was so much good horror coming out films that time. This movie got a little bit lost in the mix, so... Uh, I hope people go back and take another look at it because it, it's really strong. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's tough because uh, like I'm a huge Reanimator fan, but like honestly, From Beyond is not far behind for me. Like it's there are probably yeah. days where I'll say From Beyond is my favorite Stuart Gordon movie. Um, but yeah, I just I love the the pink hue over the over the lens and uh, the worm creature eating Jeffrey Combs is exceptional. Like it's just it's yeah. so cool. Uh, the part I was talking about though is Dr. Catherine McMichaels, Barbara Crampton being oddly okay with like the whole uh, being okay with this whole thing after seeing a creature from another dimension. Like she's very chill in her next in the in the scene following that, like where the creature where she's first exposed and you know realizes that Combs isn't crazy. He's actually he's telling the truth. And yeah. uh, so that that's like a criticism I could see if you really wanted to pick at something, but like, I don't know. I, she made up for it in that dominatrix suit. So, so I, I was reading a, an interview and somebody asked her what happened to that suit and uh, she sold it at a garage sale. Oh my God. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine, imagine the people who buy lingerie are like gimp suits from fucking garage sales. <laughs> It's oh god! It's like yeah, it's buying secondhand underwear. Just not, a, not <laughs> I don't get it. But yeah, and I think the addition of Ken Forey is Ken Forey's character in the story. No, no, okay, yeah, because he's such a huge addition to the story because you have like he's your masculine character when Combs is just being nuts and erratic and running around. You have Ken Forey to kind of be the voice of reason. Uh, but he has one of my favorite quotes in the movie, one of the lines uh, when he, when Barbara Crampton's trying to talk to him about how she wants to go upstairs and get the resonator going again. He's like, I know this behavior. I've seen it on the street. You may be a junk. You may be a doctor, but you're acting just like a junkie. <laughs> it's like, such a corny line. I see, I've seen this on the streets. <laughs> and the, the scene where he gets um, eaten by 
Uh, what looks like bees. I don't know. It's a bit of a weird choice there. Uh, but the special effects and that scene where his death scene is awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And then are you talking about, yeah, Jeffrey Crumbs is sucking an eye. Or no, the one, ah, fuck, I'm, I'm getting these mixed up right now. But a man sucks an eyeball out of a woman's face and then sucks out her blood for nutrients to grow his mega mind. Yeah. That's Jeffrey Combs. And then later on, Detective Bubba gets, they all get stormed by like what look like bees. And then they eat Bubba and he's laying on the ground as like a skeleton with his hands waving. Yeah, totally. Oh, it's just, it's, yeah, it's a great movie. So I, I think we can both highly recommend watching From Beyond if you haven't seen it or revisiting it if you, uh, if it's been a while. You want to talk about Dagon? Do you have anything else you want to talk about for From Beyond? Um, nope. No, I'm ready to go to Dagon. It's coming from that village. Probably some sort of religious festival. Hey, that thing's coming right at us. There's something in the water. We're gonna have to take the raft into that town for help. Where the hell is everybody? Hello? We need help. What the hell's going on here? Who are you? I've been waiting for you. Stay with me, please! Don't let them take me! You will go soon to a beautiful place forever. You want to tell me why this is happening? Dagon needs her. You're a bunch of freaks! I'll kill you all. Alright, cool. This one, uh, I'm gonna be relying more on you. Would you be able to give our listeners a synopsis of Dagon? Sure. So um you mentioned that you read the short story Dagon. Um, I, I didn't finish it, but I was reading it. Okay. This movie's not based on that, uh, okay. which yeah, is super confusing. <laughs> super confusing. It's based on a short novella called The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Um, yes. It's got some of the same elements as Dagon, but if you read The Shadow Over Innsmouth, it's, that, it, it's clear that the what's happening there in the plot. Um, okay, so, yeah, off the top of my head, um, I don't know the characters' names or what. So there's a, a couple of uh, Paul... And his girlfriend. I'll look it up here for you quickly. So we got, um, yeah, the actors are Ezra Godin, Francisco Rabal, Raquel Marino. And I think those are the key players that we're working with because the the rest of the film is pretty much set around a town of erratic sea people. Yeah. So the the main character and his girlfriend and um, uh, an older couple are celebrating that they've sold their, or they made a bunch of money on their dot-com company which I believe was called dot com. Uh, when a this storm was 2002 <laughs> yeah. and a, a storm rolls in. And uh, I think it, the skies are sunny in the movie for like maybe the first three minutes. And when that storm rolls in, I think the storm stays for the rest of the movie. Uh, um, so they, uh, the boat crashes against the rocks and uh, one of the, uh, the older woman becomes uh, pinned underneath. And so they have to go to shore to, to try to get some help to to get her free, so the uh, Paul and his and his girlfriend go to shore, and then 
they just start meeting weird characters everywhere they go in this Spanish town. And Paul is basically on the run and hiding for the rest of the movie as he's trying to figure out uh, what's going on with this, with what's happening in this town. And I'm trying to get help. And now his girlfriend's gone missing. And um, he finds a, he runs into an old, uh, an older man um, who gives the backstory of this town was uh, very poor and was, and was um, had no economical income. Uh, they were going to the church to try to get uh, uh, advice from God. Uh, and somebody came into the church and said, if you want real riches, if you want to be really wealthy, follow Dagon. And so then they become this cult of uh, creatures that are living underneath the sea that are start having um, relations with the people of the village in exchange for riches and, and gold. Uh, and now there's these half fish, half people people walking around that are running the town and they don't want Paul to get their secret out. And I guess I'm thinking here on, in the meantime, uh, he's he's found another very beautiful woman who's becoming infatuated with. And do we want to give away the ending? Hold that thought for two seconds. Are you a hockey fan? Yep. She looks like Paulina Gretzky. (laughs) She does. She looks very much like Paulina Gretzky. So that's a huge compliment to her. But I was like, whoa, like they're like doppelgangers. So she has red hair. Yeah. Let's give away the ending. Okay. So, uh, so as the story starts to unfold and Paul's still looking for his girlfriend, but he's now also fallen in love with this girl that he's been, that he's dreaming about and uncovers that she's a mermaid, but instead of like a fishtail, she's got tentacles. So it's, that's got the, the Lovecraft the influence in it there. Um, and then the big finish is like a crazy gore fest where they're going to, uh, take his girlfriend, he finds his girlfriend, but they're going to sacrifice her to Dagon uh, so that she can be impregnated uh, and uh, raise some more fish people. Uh, and through a series of events that make a lot more sense than what I'm describing, the main character figures out that the girl that he's been falling in love with is his sister, and he's actually a relative of the city, and he's sets himself on fire as he's trying to escape. And as his face is burning and he falls into the water, he just accepts his fate that he is part of these people. And there's a horrifying scene at the end where he just says, this is the way it is. And him and his sister, you know, go under this murky water to go be with this ancient God that lives underneath the ocean. Such a bonkers idea. It's, it's a miracle that this movie was made and pulled off even slightly well. It's crazy and it, it holds pretty true to the to the actual story, except again for the female characters because Lovecraft wouldn't have any interest in that. But but the whole thought of, you know, this is really what's happening and how come people can't understand it and I'm trying to, my mind's trying to get around it and then when your mind finally does understand and you can comprehend what's happening, you just kind of give in and you're going to have to live underneath the ocean with this really scary god that at the end that end scene is scary yeah it is it's just it's wild and yeah like because that's the thing is that this movie is very inconsistent with the effects work uh which is something that you kind of come i know i've been talking a lot about that in in both these movies but it's because it's such a key part of pulling off these stories uh but at the same time once again the like 2000s 
CGI aesthetic kind of works for the movie and, and it works in its favor. Like I'm talking about uh, when you see like the fish legs and the, the fish hands, like those all look great. Um, there's a couple like questionable scenes that just look like they were made on a fucking one of those Macs, those giant Macs that were different colored back in the day <laughs> that every kid had. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But uh, the movie itself, it's uh, I was very surprised by how much I actually enjoyed it and how intense it was. Uh, the tension works really well in this movie and it's it's just a terrifying concept and I think they really pulled it off with uh, with all the crazy townsfolk running after them and you have your your lead character we could have used a little bit more of a, a more of a charismatic lead uh, but other but he did what he needed to do I guess <laughs> like uh, just it, it, you definitely feel like he's no Jeffrey Combs and uh, that's something that the movie might be missing a little bit yeah he's kind of a a goofball and he he just you know he can't he's not you know super likable and then he has a real character shift when he starts to accept who he is and and come to terms with it then you know i think he's a bit more likable but the the gore is really well done um the special effects are i i don't know what happened there like some of them don't even really color match to what's happening <laughs> Um, no. it just looked it looked really odd but the whole film has got well, i mentioned that when that storm rolls in and the storm stays that whole film's got a real gloomy uh dread look to the all the time it's raining it's dark he's that once paul starts running from the things he was running and hiding for 90 percent of the movie and it's yeah. the tension that's built there uh and the look of it is really effective yeah, totally. And I, I love the scene where he, uh, what's his character's name? Yeah, Paul, he, when he's removing, he's like, they, they discover him inside the building and then he has to take the, he uses his Swiss army knife to get the lock off of one door and put it on the next door so that it, it's like that little tiny lock. Uh, but even that, like, it's, it's just a very good tense scene. And then uh, I love all the little like nuances with all the people with the, the cobwebbed hands or like the webbed hands and um the the gills on their neck like i just thought that the, all that was really well thought out but yeah it's just it's it's just a wild movie that uh i would have liked to see done with the effects team that did from beyond <laughs> yeah uh, but at yeah. the same time like you said that the setting of that movie it's a the setting alone is a character like it's it's a really cool setting i love that fish like the small fishing town yeah the the it's a little small spanish town that they shot it in that works perfectly and and that super dirty disgusting hotel room that he finds himself in i don't know how much of that was real or not but it looked pretty freaking real so yeah yeah no that super, place is gross yeah <laughs> super so, effective yeah that like I, I wonder if that was on a set or anything or if that was just an actual <laughs> place in that town because yeah good god that was gross <laughs> This movie reminded me of another movie that I know we both saw recently is uh, the Block Island Sound. Do you do you see any like Lovecraft inspirations in the Block Island Sound? Yeah, yeah, good comparison. Uh, it's it's uh, now that you mention that I hadn't thought of that, but now you mention it, it's got a real similar um, feel to it uh, and uh, a similar look. Uh, I think too with uh, it's very dark and and dreary and. Um, you're giving a you're giving a lot of clues to what's happening, but especially Block Island Sound. I didn't put it all together until the big reveal at the end. But 
when you look back, yeah, everything was there. And I, my feeble human brain should have been able to put that together, but I, but I couldn't. So maybe there's some Lovecraft influence in there. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to watching it again. Cause I do feel like there's parts that, uh, that I may have missed or something. Cause yeah, it's one of those movies that you just want to let it do its thing and try and let it surprise you. And it, uh, it definitely did that for me. But that's a, it's not even out yet, so anyone listening, if you're into this kind of stuff, the Block Island sound, keep an eye out for that. I know the trailer's out right now, and uh, it's great. But yeah, this uh, this was a great conversation, Jeff. I don't know if you have anything else you want to talk about with Dagon, but uh, I feel like we covered it pretty well. Yeah, give the uh, try to overlook some of those special effects, uh, focus on the, the story, and uh, I think you'll, people will enjoy it. Yeah, definitely, and it's available on Tubi. Uh, the terror table Tubi plug. This is that time, um, nice. but yeah, it's it's free on Tubi. Actually, a bunch of I'm pretty sure From Beyond is on there. I watched From Beyond on my Blu-ray because Mitch Clark gave me a Scream Factory Blu-ray of it. So that was a nice. very very nice present. Uh, and you you gave me the gift of Mitch Clark. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes around. <laughs> yeah, all full circle. But yeah, this was great, Jeff. It was super interesting talking to you and you. I, I learned a lot today. So uh, is there anywhere that our listeners can follow you on Instagram, Twitter, or anything you want to plug? Uh, sure. Instagram um, is the Drake, uh, but the with four underscores Drake, because uh, that's all that was available. I'm, I'm late to the game. Uh, Twitter is the one underscore Drake. So you can follow me uh, on either of those platforms. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you like pretty much the same stuff that Mitch likes, if you like metal and uh, horror and uh, wrestling, then you can uh, follow me and see what I'm up to. Hell yeah. And I guess this would be a good time to also mention the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival, which is approaching its 12th consecutive year. And uh, I know you and John and everyone's working behind the scenes to make that happen, but uh, we're going to have an in-person festival again this year. So that's exciting. Yeah, so far so good. We've we've got the dates that we announced. Um, the It's open for submissions. Uh, follow, find us on Facebook or uh, Google us uh, on our website to find out how to submit. And uh, the submissions are rolling in and we've started watching those uh, so we can keep up as they start, as they continue to come in. Uh, who knows what the world's going to look like in a few months, but right now we're planning uh, in-person festival. Uh, we did it in November in the midst of the pandemic and Mitch was there every day and we followed the guidelines very strictly and, and followed everything that was being put out by the government and we had no cases traced back to us so that was successful uh we had limited numbers of course but everybody who was there had a really good time and we're gonna try to do it again hell yeah looking forward to it awesome all right well thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the terror table <laughs>